This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hello, welcome back. I'm Kent Smothers, professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to your money. Business Radio, Series XM 132. If you want some advice what to do with your money, how to save it, invest it, buy insurance, get in the will, paying down debts, really anything about your money, that's the show's name, live on Tuesday. So grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And you can call us and ask us anything about your own financial situation. Welcome back to the show, Ara Agorian, who is the founder and president of the ACAP Asset Management, uh, which she created in 2009, has many years of experience, including at the U.S. Department of Treasury, as well as Foreign Service as well with the Republic of Georgia and Republic uh, Latvia and many others. And uh, he's been in the industry for almost 30 years, uh, a location of ACAP in, is in Los Angeles, California. Ara, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thank you, Kent, for having me back. Jim. And are are you in a safe location, Ara? Just wanna. Yes, yes. Luckily, <laughs> I am in a in a safe location. We're only a few miles away from the fire, but wow. unfortunately, my in laws have been affected by it. Oh, but, I'm sorry um, to hear that. Safe. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I have a, a, a relative who lives in San Francisco, and how the flights have been diverted even from SFO and uh, so forth, just from the all the smoke, and it's just it's an it's amazing, uh, you know, a change in the the role of climate change uh, playing out in, in California. So we won't be able to talk too much about that. We'll talk about finances again. Welcome back, Ara, to the show here live at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And Ara, go back to the phone lines for just a minute here. Just remind us a little bit about your firm in Los Angeles, and if you have a tobacco client, what's yours you like? Sure. So we're we're a bit of a hybrid firm. We are not only a fee-only wealth management firm, but we're also a CPA firm. So we do taxes for our clients in addition to uh, financial planning and, and investment management. And we work for clients all over the country. We have clients in, in almost in every state. And our focus is entirely on healthcare professionals. So well over 90% of our clients are in healthcare some way or the other, whether it might be physicians, nurses, medical sales rep, hospitals, medical groups, those types of things. Yeah, excellent. Speaking again with Ara uh, Agorian, the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in Los Angeles, California. Been on the show probably eight or nine times at this point. Um, and one of our veterans it, it, doing a great job answering your question uh, on this uh, program over the last several uh, years. Give us a call. Love to answer your question here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six, and you don't have to come from the medical profession. It's also nice uh, if you do a great uh, a chance to speak to somebody who uh, focuses a lot on that area as well. Let me go to Jack calling from Oklahoma. How can I help you, Jack? Hey, Professor, thanks for taking the sure. call. Appreciate it. So, uh, quick few questions, two different paths. One is I have a spouse who has worked uh, full time for a number of years and no longer is, and now does. Um, substitute teaching. She does some long-term subbing. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to figure out, should I put her into some type of LLC structure or something that I can push away savings dollars for her for retirement? Um, So 
all that income would be, I believe, 1099. And is there a way to kind of create a a business around her so that I can put more and more savings, retirement dollars uh, under her name besides myself. Yeah, and that may not even be necessary. How is she currently being paid as a substitute teacher? Is she being paid as a 1099 currently or as a W-2? Actually, I think now that I think about it, it's W-2. Okay, W-2. So, I mean, there's a chance, a very good chance that the school, you know, would not be willing to, you know, pay her as a company as a 1099, but... Um. Uh. If if they were, that does open up certain options. As a temporary worker, does she have access to the? Uh. The, if it's a school, something like a four hundred three b through the school. I don't think she would, because she'd be deemed short term. Okay. So when she's done even even a half a semester for what they would call long term subbing. She's still not classified as a full-time employee. Yeah, and it, 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 that could actually affect maybe whether the school does a matching, but whether she has access to the 403B, that's, that's a different issue. That's something that she may want to investigate. All right, so let's assume that she doesn't. Let's assume that she's also um, uh, being compensated as a W-2. Uh, we'll operate under that assumption. You said you had a second question? So the second question is, is on me. So as Luckily, my income has continued to grow and grow. I'm, I'm easily tapping out my 401k on an annual basis. And like most people, the, the forced retirement that just comes out of your check is great, but then the onus is on you once you cap out the uh, whatever it is, eighteen or $19,000 a yeah. year. So I'm looking for more, maybe it's not just tax-sheltered retirement because uh, the movement of, of potentially just once I once – I, um, once I allocate dollars to a Roth, then it's on top of that. Right. And so I'm, I'm debating of doing some real estate investing and other things. So okay. um, that was a little more broader for you. But, no, I understand. Um, what you're trying to do is figure out is there other vehicles uh, that you could be using toward uh, a retirement. A lot of times people overemphasize you know, the retirement accounts. Do you have a taxable brokerage account? Do you have something like a Vanguard, Fidelity Schwab, something like that? I do. Okay. Um, and what is that currently invested in? Um, so most of that is, is in, in, uh, invested in U.S. stocks. Okay. Like index funds or actual individual stocks? I'd say it's, it's a nice mix of probably about a third of its index. A third of it is in mutual funds, growth mutual funds, and then the other third is is uh, me trying to be Peter Lynch and pick the stock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> trying, trying to beat the market. At least, at least you're, you're being honest uh, uh, with that. But so, uh, okay, so uh, it's good that you have a technical brokerage guy. And just to be clear, when you talk about the your uh, your maximum to your 401k, uh, uh, how old are you, Jack? I'm 42. Okay. I just want to see if you're above age 50. It's, it's called the catch-up provision. And so you're doing the maximum. You you understand that the maximum is really about your own contribution. It doesn't impl- include the employer contribution. You, you can actually go in the, up to 50-some thousand w- uh, when you include employer contributions. You're only counting your own contribution up uh, when you think about the maximum. Is that right? Uh, I, I am, but I, I thought, in other words, if I were to put in over the... The deductible amount, then I guess I, I would be taxed on those contributions. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm referring to this. A lot of times, people think, for example, the uh, uh, you know the eighteen thousand dollars that they think of it as well. You know that that is going to be um, 
uh, you know, well, in this case, it's actually nowadays 18,500 all. It's going to go up for 2019. But the 18,500, what they do is they take their contribution, which is maybe 10, 11,000 all. They add the match and they say, okay, I'm up to the limit of 18,500. And what's really important is to understand that is it's actually the 18,500 is on your own contribution. It does not include employer match. So if your employer is putting another $5,000, um, you can and you can actually go up to that $23,000 and, that, and that's fine. Uh, so I just want to make sure that $18,500, you are not including any of the employer match in that calculation. Is that right? Correct. Those are all my dollars. Oh, your dollars. Okay. Very important. Okay. So good. So, all right. I mean, um, what uh, uh, Jack is trying to, uh, let's first solve his spouse. I appreciate him being selfless and putting her needs first. And let's think <laughs> about the spouse. So she's getting uh, a W-2 and not making contribution. Let's assume for this argument that she is actually, uh, she certainly probably is not going to be able to get the match um, if there is any match. And school, they often, you know, sometimes they even have pension pro- programs and so forth. Um, but, but maybe Jack will try to figure out if she can actually maybe just put her own dollars into the 403B. Assuming that that is not possible, uh, what are some uh, potential options for her, um, assuming that she can't get the school to pay her as a 1099? And then we'll turn to Jack in a, in a second. Yeah, so unfortunately, if she is a W-2, um, there are very limited, actually, there are no options for her to save on herself, by herself, um, you know, in a tax-advantaged account like a 401k or a 403b. If the school is willing to put her as a 1099, then that really opens up a lot of other options for her to save beyond what she can on her own in a Roth IRA or in a, in a uh, just a traditional IRA, which right now has a $5,500 minimum. Uh, right now, I know, Jack, you're using the, the taxable brokerage account, but that's definitely one avenue yeah. you and your wife can do together to save more because although it, the word taxable is in the term taxable brokerage account, uh, it's actually a very tax-efficient account for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, uh, capital gains are long-term capital gains are taxed at a more favorable rate, less than your income is. So are qualified dividends. If you invest properly, those qualified dividends are taxed at a favorable rate. So those are two big advantages of the taxable brokerage account. If you're planning on buying real estate in the near term, I wouldn't recommend you put the money in the taxable brokerage account because it's such a short period of time. If you're going to use that money in the near term to fund the real estate, I'd recommend keep it in a very safe and secure type savings account. Um, but one other thing, and I'm kind of jumping all over the place, is you may want to ask your employer if they offer the what's called an after-tax contribution to your 401k plan. That's essentially allowing you, if your employer has this provision in the 401k, if you're already maximizing your 401k at 18000 some employers allow you to put in after-tax money, kind of like what's called a super, uh, a super Roth 401k, into your 401k. It's after-tax. You don't get a deduction, but the money does grow tax-free. So you may want to ask your employer about that. Yeah, and a lot of employers don't allow that. There's a, some administrative hurdles with the record keepers having to keep track right. of the money separately. And so the record keeper often charge extra money to everybody in the plan. Some lawyers don't like that. But nonetheless, that's exactly right, is that the sometimes called the super Roth 401k, and that is you can make these after-tax uh, 
contributions uh, on on top. Um, uh, so, Jack, just to summarize for for your spouse, um, uh, maybe try to figure out how if she could actually get paid as a ten ninety nine. My guess, if it's like a a large public school, they're probably just not used to doing that, and they may may say no. But who knows? Maybe they have some independent. I wouldn't be surprised they have some independent contractors who just do shorter term substitution and maybe you know a few days a year, and they use ten ninety nine for that. And so there's a good chance that they may be flexible in that way. So if they are, then something like, you know, there opens up things like a SEP that your uh, spouse could open up, um, even potentially even more ambitious, like a solar, solar 401k, things like that. But likely just a simple SEP would probably do the trick uh, for her. In your case, um, as Ara points out, a lot of people think taxable, okay, that's bad, but it's it's all about being wise where you put um, different assets. And so suppose that you're you know saving up for retirement and you're comfortable with 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. And the idea is that if you put more of your stocks in your taxable account. And my preference for that is not to have things like individual stocks, but to have things like very broad-based index mutual funds um, that are very cheap and low cost, something like a Vanguard total stock market fund. It doesn't kick off much capital gains along the way. Um, And if you're just holding on to it for a long time, it's going to be extremely tax efficient because with stocks, you know, you get taxed. Yes, there are some real Realizations and any type of fund, but it's pretty small. And a, a big fund like Vanguard can really manage those with inflows and outflows very effectively. It's pretty small. Um, and as a result of that, um, uh, it's going to kick off very little uh, realizations, very little income from dividends, things like that. And it's also going to be, so as a result, if you're going to hold on to it, you're not going to be taxed until you realize. And But when you actually realize those gains many years later, everything's kind of compounded. Pounded, um, almost like it's tax-free um, uh, 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 during that uh, that period. The tax term is not part of the compounding, and that's where you, the role magic happens here. And so, if uh, you're willing to yeah, hold on to that money for a long time, having more of your stocks in your Vanguard taxable account or Fidelity taxable account or whatever you go with with your taxable account, um, and just making sure it's not kicking off a lot of capital gains or uh, dividends and things like that, you're not holding individual stocks, for example, um, that is going to be very tax efficient if, in fact, then you hold more of your bonds and your income-producing assets in your 401k. It's called asset location, and the combination of that can be actually very powerful um, um, saving up for long-term goals. You know, I get your, your your point about trying to, you know, tempted about real estate. Real estate is a very seductive asset class because first, it seems like it's tangible. Uh, it's one reason why you see a lot of foreign investors in America. You know, I want to buy land because it's very tangible. If everything goes bad, I still got the land. Um, but as an asset class, it can be very non-diversified, um, have consistent considerable gyrations. And a lot of times people will buy real estate in their own local area where they already have a house. So now they have a really concentrated kind of uh, 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 
um, uh, assets uh, because it's already correlated with their house. And in worst case scenario, it's, you know, a large local employer, you know, lays off people and man, all the real estate prices kind of go down uh, together. Um, so now is it a generally a fairly focused asset class in general, um, but then it becomes even more concentrated geographically. So I get the point, you know, people think, well, it kicks off, I'll use it as a rental property, kick off a stream of income. But when you net it all together and you account for the real risk, um, it is, uh, it's it's pretty concentrated risk. Um, And a lot of people don't realize, even an index mutual fund, you actually do have real estate exposure in that. Even the S&P 500, you have builders, um, um, you have a fair amount of real estate exposure in that. It's just, it's just a more appropriate relative to the entire size of the economy um, rather than a very concentrated risk. Is that helpful, Jack? Yeah, it is. It is very helpful. I, I guess I have one, one, one or two quick one, 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 one quick one. Quick one. Yeah. So if, if, if she can't uh, get into a 403B, then the best thing is an IRA, is just funding her IRA on an annual basis. So, uh, Correct? I, 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 all right. I talk about that because there are certain rules about that. Right. So it, because you have the eligibility for a 401k, uh, you, she can definitely fund an IRA, but she may be limited, or if you're filing jointly, you may be limited on whether or not you can deduct that IRA contribution. Yeah, yeah, that's the... That's, that's, so that's, you, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. So you need to check with your accountant to make sure that you fall under the income threshold to be able to deduct that IRA contribution, because that's, uh, uh, that's a big component. If you did not have a 401k, then that there's no issue as far as deductibility of the IRA, but because you do, then your IRA may not be deductible. Right, right. So it's it's all going to come down to your uh, own circumstances. You may make enough money, or your total household income is going to be in such that you you could you would be able to deduct it. There's a chance that it, it, it maybe is not deductible, but you you'd actually put in a non-deductible uh, contribution. Thanks so much for calling, Jack. Really appreciate it. speaking with Ara Igorian, is the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, doing a great job answering your questions. Here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Tori calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Tori? Hi. Hey, how Hello. can I help you? Hi, I just had a question regarding some money that I have with Edward Jones. I have a Roth IRA and a regular IRA. I have no potential of adding to these IRAs. Um, about one hundred ninety thousand dollars, and I'm hearing a lot about vanguards and not having to pay fees. Yeah. And I don't. And I my risk is very low, so I've probably lost five thousand dollars in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or my risk tolerance, I should say. And I just um, you may have covered this a little bit in the last call, but I wasn't really sure if you guys had a specific place where you think I could put the money. Yeah. Where I could possibly have. Um, growth and not worry about it. Cause yeah, I you know I feel like it's being mis- undermanaged. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a big difference between I think um, you know uh, the, the risk that you're taking and in terms of the um, the you know fees that you're paying. Those are two very different you know uh, issues. Let me ask you, and I definitely agree that getting out of a low fee. Uh, get into a low fee account is is the much better way uh, uh, to go. Um, the funds that you're currently invested in are these like very specific to? Uh, do they kind of 
are these Edward Jones you know, specific funds or these funds that you could have bought even outside of Edward Jones? I'm not positive. I think I have a lot of bonds in there. I'm not not sure. A lot of individual bonds. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all these are in IRAs. They're all in taxable, yeah. uh, tax deferred, I mean, um, accounts. Half of it's Roth and half of it's regular. Regular IRA. Okay. So, all right, let's uh, talk to her about, you know, the transfer process. And um, certainly, you know, we like to have lower, you know, lower expenses. And, if, and of course, Tori, you, you do realize that it will be up to you to kind of manage these assets kind of going forward. And it sounds like you're comfortable doing that. Okay, let's, yeah, we're maybe not a great connection. All right, all right uh, go ahead. Talk, talk about the transfer process. Sure. So if, if, if she was planning on uh, managing her own portfolio and uh, not have an advisor work with her on it, then absolutely, I think the, the Vanguard option or even a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or some other discount brokerage would serve her well. Um, but without really knowing what she's currently invested in, it's hard to say that moving over to a different platform is going to save her money because if she's in individual bonds, she's not really paying any fee on the individual bonds because individual bonds are traded on a bid-ask spread. So only when she sells it, assuming she sells it before maturity, will she she pay a fee on it. Um, But if she's not getting any advice from her existing advisor, there's no other uh, financial planning component that's being part of it, uh, no other uh, advisory process, and she wants to manage herself, and the, the transfer process is very simple, regardless of where she wants to transfer over to. Right, right. And in particular, Tori, so there's a good chance that you've already paid a lot of the fees that you're going to pay on this at, at the front end. There's also a chance, though, you could be potentially paying some account fees that are actually pretty high. That yeah, In other words, they don't necessarily always have to be targeted right on every single asset. What's often the case is a particular account, it may have some commission-based products in there that often um, has kind of the name of that company in it. Sometimes they have their own um, specialized uh, set of products that doesn't have their name uh, in it. And if this were a taxable account, then things become a little bit more dicey because you have to realize some gains and pay some taxes and so forth. So the good news is that these are both in tax-deferred accounts. Um, but whether or not uh, how much you're going to save in fees, my guess is that you probably would still save in fees because there's probably some other you know, fees on there levied against these accounts. Um, but you could easily you know, call up Vanguard or Fidelity Schwab and so forth and transfer these accounts. They'll, they'll, they'll even do the, 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 the bad guy work for you and contact the other institution. Even your, if you have some of their, uh, your current uh, institution that you talk with, um, well, you know, get the transfer process uh, going for you. So you don't even have to worry about, you know, looking somebody in the eyeball and saying that you want to, you know, move the money f- uh, away from them. Uh, it's all, you know, very kind of easy that way. Um, the, it, 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 but the, what I would say is when you get that money kind of moved over, 
uh, you really should be thinking about uh, you know selling a lot of what's in that. It sounds like there's a lot of individual bonds and so forth. That's really probably not what's most appropriate for you. You should probably be holding a fairly large bond fund, um, it, it, something like a Vanguard total, a total bond fund. Fidelity and Schwab have their equivalents as well. Um, if you're holding stock, something very well diversified, like total stock market fund, um, something like that. I think so. A p- part of this is certainly reducing the fees, uh, but a part of this is certainly also getting a, a more a- appropriate um, uh, investments uh, uh, for you. The only times I think in a, you know a bond holding individual bonds actually makes sense um, for individual investors is when what we're doing what's called a bond ladder. And these, these are pretty complicated things where, you know, sometimes you'll buy treasury bonds um, in the secondary market that, you know, some will expire in, you know, maybe 27 years, another one expires in 23 years or, you know, whatever the expiration dates are in the kind of the second, uh, secondary market. And you're, you, you're, you know, you're going to hold these things to maturity um, and there are pretty low risk, you know, U.S. Treasury uh, bonds, even preferably what's called a Treasury Inflation Protected Security, and you're holding those until uh, until maturity, and you, in fact, are um, um, uh, really don't have to worry about reselling them along, along the way, and they kind of pre- present, you know, income later on, kind of when you need it, and in, the, uh, in between years, between like 23 and 27 years from now, you just do a little of the saving out of the 23-year bond, things like that. It, it sounds complicated because it is. That's one reason why people instead use bond funds, um, which you know aren't as quite as targeted for your own retirement, uh, present some principal risk, you know, uh, uh, but it's still can be much better than just simply holding a bunch of individual bonds. A lot of times advisors will use individual bonds um, outside of a, a bond ladder or individual stocks you know, um, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's just so some type of hey I'm doing something for you if I if I made it so easy like it was a simple stock market fund a, a simple bond fund even though that's usually what's best for most people because a low cost well diversified if I made it too easy you could just go off and do it on yourself and you know <laughs> save on these fees and so it, you know there's these optics of making things look more complicated than they need to be so the, the, uh, that was a long winded answer Tori probably way more uh, than you wanted to hear but the bottom line is you could just call up Vanguard, Fidelity Schwab, and so forth. Start the process. Um, uh, likely there are fees somewhere attached with these accounts, uh, and so you would be uh, hopefully reducing those. But you also at the same time, when you start that process, you want to get a better mix of uh, uh, of investments that are more appropriate for what risk you're going to take um, at, at, at that point. And they can sometimes help you with that. Like at Vanguard, you know, you can actually hire an advisor now where, you know, you pay some additional amounts that will help manage your account. Or, you know, if if these are given that these are both retirement, worst case scenario, maybe you just put these both into a target date retirement account. That's likely going to be at least better than what you're doing um, now. Is that helpful, Tori? It does. Can I ask one more quick question sure, regarding sure. Those, those bonds? Yeah. Um, my children are in their 20s now, and when they were younger, we got I-bonds and E-bonds, and that's what I asked people for, yeah. as opposed to toys. 
And Good for I've you. Gone through them, and some of them are paying over four percent, and some of them are paying very little. Is it worth it to cash in the ones that are paying very little and put it into something else, maybe you know, money market or even a CD that's paying more, or just still let it ride? Yeah, you know, uh, you are one of the very few callers. I was making some assumptions here, Tori, because you're the one of the very few callers. Um, that has ever said that they, without me bringing it up, you know, invest in I bonds. I'm very impressed. Um, you know, it, it, so I, I have no problem with you holding on to those I bonds, uh, to, to be honest with you, just because how typically that's going to work is a, it's a 30 year bond. Um, and so you're holding those I bonds inside of your IRA. Is that right? No, no, no. These are just. Specific uh, separate bonds that we, like I said, we would get a $500 bond from Grandma for Christmas. I see, I see. I thought they would give you cash and you go and buy the bond for your uh, for your IRA or something like that. You make it maybe a little more. No, no, no. These are for my children. Okay, yeah. These are my children's bonds. We're in their 20s. Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of different clever ways we can do that. But yeah, if these are being held completely outside of the account. So the nice thing about an I-bond is that I actually recommend that people buy 10000 bucks you know, worth of that every single year. It's a very safe layer of income because it also gives you an inflation protection over time. And it's a very unique construction. There's a reason why Social, uh, I'm sorry, the U.S. Treasury limits how much you can buy. I think they limit too much, but you can only buy up to $10,000 worth of these for each Social Security number. So each of your kids, you and your spouse could both get individually $10,000 worth. Is because uh, they actually are fairly tax efficient. Uh, they give you the inflation protection, but you actually, there's zero coupon. They're not paying coupons along the way. So uh, you, typically it's 30 years. So you hold on to these things for a fairly long time. And then, then when they pay out at the end, you do pay some income tax at that point, um, but you don't pay any income tax on the accumulation. I think I-bonds are great. And um, I originally uh, did not realize you were also holding some of these I-bonds outside of your IRA account. I think they're fantastic. So I, I would not get rid of those. Um, yes, you could sell those um, and, um, you know, we'd likely get a decent price for them. But I, I want, um, I have some I-bonds from year, many years ago that are paying a very high rate of return. Um, and but and I'm, I'm definitely keeping them. The re, what makes these much different than your normal bonds are being held in your IRAs, like a corporate bonds and so forth, is they are backed by the full faith credit of government. They, they actually give you uh, protection against inflation and they actually are have some tax efficiency um, associated with them. Not quite like a tax deferred a, a savings account, but they are fairly tax efficient, um, which is the reason why the government, again, limits how much you can buy. So if you, other listeners, if you've never heard of an I-bond, uh, there's a reason why no one makes commissions selling you an I-bond. Uh, you have to go to Treasury Direct to, to get them. At the old days, you can get them in paper form from your local bank, but now you have to go to Treasury Direct and buy them uh, directly. So, and your, you know, your double E bonds, you know, those are, you know, I'm less passionate about what you do with those. Um, if you want to just get rid of those and then put them into a larger bond fund, you know, that's, that's fine uh, uh, with me, especially given that most uh, U.S. bond funds are fairly heavily weighted toward government bonds. Anyway, so thanks so much for calling. really appreciate it, uh, uh, Tori. Um, so, all right, we only got a couple of minutes left in this segment. But, you know, explain uh, again why you're 
uh, a firm, ACAP Asset Management, you know, you, you said you do a, a basically now exclusively with medical professionals. You've talked about this a little bit on the show. Uh, they kind of happened by happenstance, kind of your location of UCLA Medical Center, USC, and, and so forth. Are medical professionals in particular, where are kind of some of the unique challenges that they face? that's a great question. It depends on what stage of their life they're in. So if they're younger, which most of our clients are, they're, they're grappling with student loan debt and usually a large amount of student loan debt. So in the beginning stages of their career, we're focusing on how to refinance that student loan debt or how to restructure it to have them benefit from uh, some income-driven repayment programs that might be out there for them. Uh, that's initially. And then as they progress through their career and depending on what type of a uh, work environment they're in. It, sometimes they're self-employed with their own corporation. Uh, in that instance, we are uh, helping them with that corporate entity formation, managing the corporation, coming up with strategies to minimize their tax within that corporate structure and also maximize their, their uh, retirement savings within it. Um, if they are at any one of the educational institutions such as uh, USC or UCLA or other um, uh, similar institutions nationwide, then we're helping them maximize their 403B, their 457. Uh, and on the 457, we're educating them on the differences between a governmental 457 and a non-governmental because there's a huge difference between the two, and most people don't realize what they have until they get, you know, until after the fact and they get a huge tax bill if they've got a non-governmental 457B plan. So explain that a little bit. So if you have a a 457B plan is basically a deferred comp plan, and it's available for people who are high-income earners because if you're a high-income earner, $18,500 is not that much of a a savings relative to your total income in a year. So they offer these 457B plans to highly compensated individuals so they can save an additional $18,500 into these accounts. But because they're deferred comp, if you work for a governmental 457B plan like UCLA or a or a state, then when you leave that employer, you can roll it over into an IRA. With a non-governmental plan such as USC or another educational institution that has a non-governmental 457, once you leave, you have to cash out that money within 90 days mm. because it's deferred comp. You cannot roll that money over into an IRA. So most people don't realize that that you know if they leave such an employer unless they go to another employer that has a similar non-governmental 457B plan, they have to take that money out, you know, within 90 days. Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me again, Ken. Appreciate it. And uh, that's another segment of, you know, your money. I'd love to answer your questions next week. And uh, back live on Tuesdays, if you want to find out more about RI, go to his website, ACAPAM, AdamMary.com. Again, ACAPAM.com. I want to thank my wonderful guests this week, Laura Adams, Pat Cote, and, of course, Ara Agorian. We'll see you next Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.